Hey everyone, I'm your host Lance and thank you for joining me again on the Warrior Monk Podcast. On this episode, I have the part three of my continuing psychology neuroscience series with Toby Passman. Uh, Toby reached out to me. He's actually the founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro and he is a neurophysiology researcher and he specifically gets into neurofeedback and neurostimulation. Now I'm going to let Toby get into the details of what those big words mean and I get really excited in this episode because we get to really nerd out a little bit deeper on the whole neuroscience side and I think you guys are going to join as well. But before we get into the conversation, I really want to ask you guys, as continuing supporters of the Warrior Monk podcast, if you can, if you are able, please go check out the new Patreon that has been up for the Warrior Monk podcast. I need your support as a listener to keep the Warrior Monk podcast going. And if you can contribute, I really would appreciate it. So if you can, head over to www.patreon.com slash WM Podcast, that's Whiskey Mike Podcast, or you can just go to the Patreon search bar and search for the Warrior Monk Podcast. All right, guys, thanks for your attention. I'm looking forward to giving you this conversation with Toby Passman. All right, everyone, there's a great guest for today on the Warrior Monk Podcast. I've got Toby Passman. He's a neurophysiology researcher, and he's the founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit neuro and uh he's uh been gracious enough to give me his time after having to re uh reschedule a couple times but uh he actually reached out to me i do appreciate you man and in, in reaching out uh that's one of the cool things of the internet is like you just kind of put in a search or get on a certain social media platform or whatever and you just end up getting connected to people one of the uh one of the positive aspects of it right so uh if you don't mind, please give my listeners a little bit of an intro on you and uh, what Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro is all about. Yeah, yeah. And Lance, I just wanted to start off by really thanking you for having me on the show today. Yeah, man. So, yeah, so I'm a neurophysiology researcher, and I basically kind of got my start at uh, my university research lab. Well, I guess I'll back up a little bit and say I was always kind of that curious kid who was always kind of thinking about my own thinking, thinking about why I'm behaving the way that I am, why other people the way are the way they are. I was always just asking why, 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 you know, mm -hmm. questioning everything. And that curiosity, I think, sort of led to reading some pop psychology and neuroscience books uh, going through high school. But I still had no idea that I was going to be able to like make any sort of career out of it. Um, up until in college, I came in I didn't know what I wanted to do really. So I, I was just a business major, but I quickly became pretty disillusioned with those hour and 50 minute lectures and was uh, was pretty certain that I didn't want to do that for the next four years. I ended up taking some a variety of different classes. There was this biopsychology class that blew my mind. So biopsychology, basically studying the biological basis of how the brain works on an electrical and chemical level. And one of the really cool things is we can actually measure in real time what the brain is doing electrically with a test known as an electroencephalogram or EEG for short. So I started working at a research lab at my university that used an EEG and I became even more fascinated with that. It's like, it was incredible that I could see the real time brain data that people were producing. But it then got me thinking like, okay, this is cool that we're able to like record and assess what's going on, but can we actually like change this? Can we modify the EEG? Can we improve someone's brain activity? 
And the answer to that question with what I found out is yes, there's a variety of different ways, but certain forms of uh, what are, what's called neuromodulation, which are basically tools that, that alter and enhance brain activity, such as neurofeedback, neurostimulation, there's audiovisual entrainment, um, a few others too. But you can basically use these different tools to actually alter the electrical activity of a person's brain, which can change so many different aspects of cognition. And that basically became, I think, kind of my life's work. I, I started using this different technology, uh, both in a peak performance setting at a place outside of Seattle, training a lot of like kind of big time, like, uh, you know, business people, some Hollywood actors, pro sports athletes. And then I also got to see this technology in action at a substance abuse and mental health treatment facility in uh, South Florida. So I basically got to see kind of both, both different applications and saw what works, what doesn't, and eventually decided I wanted to actually do my own thing. So incorporating this technology into sort of peak performance training for people in the Miami and Fort Lauderdale area. Yeah. So that's a bit about how I got started. It's very cool stuff, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit envious of, of what you're doing just because I'm also a why guy. You know, I really, I definitely relate with that. Before I was in the military, I was a science guy and I connect with people really well who are also those kind of people. Um, you know, with my background in the military, a lot of times you get the, you know, why are we doing it this way? And it's like, well, it's the way we've always done it, you know? And that for me, that's like a pet peeve. I always hate it. Cause like, well, let's, let's do analysis and figure out how we can do stuff smarter. Right. I mean, that's the basis of science, like asking questions and then doing research and figuring out, you know, the next hypothesis. Um, so I think what you're doing is awesome, man. And I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. So you've kind of answered a little bit of like how you, you got down the path that you're doing. And it's kind of a, it's a buzzword right now, right? Like with, with neurohacking and talking about neuroscience, um, uh, I'm kind of doing a, a three or four podcast segment now for my podcast kind of around psychology and, and neuroscience in general. Uh, but I want to kind of, if you don't mind breaking down a little bit of, of kind of like what neurofeedback is for any of my listeners who don't really know what it is, like the actual process and, you know, what you actually hook people up to and, and what, what it kind of is maybe from a more, uh, I, I got, we'll say elementary level, just for someone who's not in the science world. Sure. Sure. So neurofeedback is, is one of those technologies that can alter and improve the EEG, the electroencephalogram can actually change and rewire the brain. So how this works is uh, basically I would go and start kind of cleaning off someone's head with, with an alcohol wipe, uh, make sure that we have a really good connection and then make sure any kind of dirt or debris is off the skin. And then I'd put uh, an EEG cap over their head. And for those people listening who, who may have possibly seen like a swim cap looking thing, it has a, a, a bunch of electrodes. And there's a couple ear clips which serve as references because uh, the ears don't actually, uh, the outside of the ears don't actually have any electrical activity. Um, mm -hmm. So they serve as kind of a reference. So we put this cap on, I squirt some electro gel into each of the electrodes and then measure what's called the impedance, basically looking at how good of a connection we have. Once that's all good, um, neurofeedback basically involves us training someone to produce, it could be, it's usually more of a certain brainwave, but it could also be 
less of a certain brainwave. So you can upregulate a certain brainwave, but you could also downregulate it if so desired. So it's basically someone would be able to plug that in. I'd be able to plug that in kind of on my computer. So say we want to reward someone whenever uh, they are producing, let's say, beta brainwaves. Mm-hmm. Beta brainwaves are usually the fastest of the brainwaves we usually talk about that are really involved in cognitive processing, critical decision-making, kind of long-term planning. Uh, and oftentimes we're seeing, we see deficits in people who struggle with say attention, focus, kind of the ADHD sort of type of people. Right. So, so with neurofeedback, we could actually reward someone whenever they're producing, whenever their brain produces beta brain waves. Mm-hmm. So how that might look is the person to be watching, you know, as they're hooked up with this cap, they're watching something on the TV. And as their brain started producing more beta waves, the screen would actually get larger. Uh, if it was visual feedback, if it was audio feedback, the tones would get louder. Mm-hmm. That's telling the brain, good job. You know, you're doing a good job. You're getting the reward. Then say you start daydreaming a little bit, that'll usually take you into a bit of a slower brainwave pattern called alpha. So that's something if we're, we're training someone to produce more beta waves, we don't want those alpha waves. So you'd actually hear the tones get quieter or the screen gets smaller as you sunk into more of an alpha state. So that's the negative feedback telling your brain, nope, you know, you were doing, you were doing well before, go back to what you were doing to make the screen bigger or get louder tones. So it's basically giving real-time feedback, like millisecond by millisecond based. It, it's, it's not a conscious, like it's, it's too quick uh, for your conscious mind to actually process what's going on. You can't think your way into producing more or less of a certain brainwave per se. Uh, I mean, you can kind of focus, but it's, it's such a quick, uh, the, the tool is able to record in, you know, before kind of conscious thought is able to actually take place. So it's largely a subconscious process, but basically, you know, it's, it's just using feedback to, to tell your brain um, to produce more or less of a certain brainwave and Mm -hmm. due to, due to neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change and rewire itself. The brain can actually learn to produce different quantities of the different brain waves based on, you know, instruction, like with this neurofeedback. So after someone does a round of sessions, uh, you know, then their brain can actually, it's, it's kind of like someone using, uh, using like uh, training wheels on a bike. You know, it's like once you, once you've used those training wheels enough, then you're able to actually go and ride the bike on your own, hopefully. So that's kind of like with neurofeedback, it's sort of guiding your brain in the right direction. But once your brain gets good enough at producing those healthier electrical rhythms, it can then, it you know, it actually is able to do it on its own without, without necessarily needing to continuing to do that training. Right. It's like training wheels for your, for your brain, for a certain, uh, certain pattern that you're trying to set. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, and I know there's been, this is like a very big emerging field right now. There's a lot of companies that have created like commercially available different headsets to help you get into different altered brainwave states for meditation or increased neuroplasticity for, uh, you know, for learning things faster and things of that nature. But what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, is like, you know, and I've actually used a couple of those commercially available headsets, and I just don't think they work very well, if I'm being honest, probably because 
of stuff like having to have proper connection and almost having to have a technician available to kind of make sure that you're getting a good connection with the device. Um, and then someone that actually can like look at data in real time and do the coaching piece of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what you touched on first is, is definitely key. I mean, the, yeah, someone, you know, is looking like what I mentioned as far as the process that I'd go through and setting someone up with, with like, you know, it's a full cap where it's measuring, Mm -hmm. you know, a 19 channel cap. And often, you know, some of the consumer devices are like, you know, a headband that you see. So it might, might be measuring like two or three sites along the forehead, giving way less information than like the full, the full cap would give. And yeah, as far as the accuracy, it's not, you know, the, the EEG caps that I use are, are kind of lab clinical lab, uh, used caps that, you know, are, are kind of the gold standard that neurologists use, psychiatrists use these consumer devices, you know, some, some may be better than others, but, and especially ones that actually have published, you know, their, you know, research showing that, that they're, uh, form of training actually does something, you know, I'm, I'm more obviously inclined to, to believe that, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to have neurofeedback done. Uh, I'd say just by yourself. True. And it's usually, usually something that you would want to go to a practitioner for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like if you, you have the tool, but you don't really know how to use it. And of course, like the bandwidth of that tool, right? Like you said, having a much, much better, uh, uh, I guess, you know, spectrum of being able to look at, at people's uh, brain waves. And I know probably a question for a lot of people too, is like, going to be like, okay, so you're, you're reading my brain waves. Uh, is this safe? Like is what's the efficacy of doing this kind of training is like, is, is there like a certain amount you can do? And then it's like, all right, you shouldn't be doing this again for another month or something of that nature. So the brain can get a little bit worn out, you know, in the same way that exercise, you know, a good exercise uh, workout is going to kind of wear your body out a little bit. It's normal at the end of a neurofeedback session to feel a little bit drowsy and exhausted Mm -hmm. mentally. And that's not a bad thing whatsoever. I tell clients or patients that all the time, that's just your brain having completed a hard workout. So If, if we were to do a neurofeedback training, you know, for, for two hours, that, that could really take a toll. I mean, it's not going to cause long-term damage, but it could, you know, cause you to want to get 10, 11 hours of sleep that mm-hmm. night. You know, it could, it could really exhaust you, but as far as the, as far as the safety, it's, it's very safe because it's not actually, uh, it's not actually putting anything foreign into the brain. It's simply, it's simply teaching the brain how to make better use of its own resources that it's, that it already, it already is producing these different electrical rhythms in different quantities. So it's the, the training is basically just telling it, all right, you know, devote more resources to producing these sort of rhythms and less resources to producing these other, these other sort of rhythms. Mm-hmm. So it's very safe. Uh, neurostimulation, kind of a, a sister technology, is I don't want to say uh, dangerous, like because this isn't the same kind of neurostimulation that we're talking about with like electroconvulsive therapy and shock therapy. What they did, like you know, what got popularized in like the 1950s or 60s, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right. kind Which of psych- crazy, crazy to think about. It seems barbaric, right, to look back at how psychiatry and psychology was 
was done back then. Right. But that's, I mean, what's crazy to think is that that's still a treatment option in, in intractable in cases of intractable depression where people have failed tons of different antidepressants mm. and can't seem to get help. They still do use ECT up till this day. Wow. But the problem with ECT is it's using such a high dosage of electricity that it, 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 redu- you know, it, it, you may get some benefits, but it's also going to come with a slew of side effects. Sure. So what they found as neurostimulation, so I would kind of call ECT sort of the origins, the the beginnings of neurosimulation. As the field has progressed and as the technology has gotten better and better, and as researchers have actually discovered, you know, what kind of dosage of electricity works best, they found that if you keep it somewhere between, uh, it's measured in, in what's called milliamps. And if you keep it usually between like one and a half, 1.5 to two milliamps, you can, that's where, what most of the, the research studies have been conducted using that specific dosage of electricity, which is so much uh, less than electroconvulsive therapies using right. like five, 600. So we're talking like orders of magnitude different, mm-hmm. but with this, it's, it produces all of the benefits that you want to get increased blood flow to the brain, increased neuroplasticity is going to go, uh, be happening greater oxygen delivery, better nutrient delivery, uh, to the brain, all of these benefits, uh, and the side effects are, are slim to none. Uh, you, someone, if they're not hydrated coming into a session, they might leave with a slight headache. So that's mm-hmm. why I know is just make sure someone, someone makes sure to you know, kind of hydrate in the same way you would for a physical workout prior to, prior to exercising. So, you know, really the the technology overall, I would say is, is very safe. Neurofeedback I'd say is like kind of, you know, hundred percent safe. Mm -hmm. Neurostimulation is safe for, for most people. If you do, if people do have um, like epilepsy or heart conditions, we do have to be a bit careful just because we are using an electrical stimulation sure. and you know it, it can result very rarely in in problems but mm-hmm. yeah i mean overall the technology is is very very safe and that there's been plenty of research meta-analyses like research that's been looking at all the research that's been done that has shown that the technologies are very safe yeah, man. And that's a great explanation too. I, I've looked into it a little bit myself, but I just knew, you know, some of the listeners might be hearing it and, you know, coming from a place of not knowing, you know, be like, I don't know, that doesn't sound safe. So I appreciate you giving the breakdown. Um, and it, we had a kind of a, a short previous conversation before getting into the podcast here. And we, we talked about a lot of these applications for, you know, for neurofeedback, uh, for, for the tactical community, for the military community, for law enforcement, things of that nature. Um, can you speak to that piece a little bit and kind of what the what the data has shown? And you, you name dropped DARPA. So if you could go into that information, I'd love to love my audience to hear about it. Yeah. So so just in coming through the research, when I was starting to utilize these different technologies, uh, specifically neurostimulation, I found some really fascinating research that that DARPA conducted um, with snipers. And they basically showed that a specific montage, which is basically the electrode placement where, where you're placing the electrodes. So one of the electrodes was placed on the right temple, and then the other one was just on the left shoulder. So the left shoulder is just serving uh, as kind of a, a reference. But what's actually getting stimulated is kind of the right, the right temple, 
with a technology called transcranial direct current stimulation. So you're, you're basically just uh, passing electricity back and forth between kind of that, uh, the cathode um, on the left sho uh, shoulder and the anode on the right temple. And they found that it actually doubled learning speeds in snipers. And as we had talked about a bit before the show, Lance, you know, doubling learning speeds, like that's crazy as far as like that large of an effect size uh, was pretty significant. And this was, this was replicated in some other studies and got some kind of popular press coverage because, you know, so, stuff like this absolutely does have um, significant ways, you know, applications uh, for, you know, military first responders. I think, you know, besides just this one study, you know, when it comes down to, you know, a, a, the job of, of someone who's in the military or first responder where it's comes down to these, like being able to react and, mm -hmm. you know, split seconds. And that could be the difference between life or death. You know, that obviously the, it's the, the training of the, the physical body has been understood as being of the utmost importance, right. And getting in the best physical shape of your life. So it makes sense that those that those organizations are now gravitating towards utilizing some of this uh, neuromodulation or brain training technology because it could it could significantly improve you know reaction times learning speed people's ability to pay attention and stay focused for longer periods of time you know memory consolidation there, there's so many beneficial things that this technology can help with so yeah, yeah lots of cool applications in that area it's very cool stuff. Um, and for anybody who might be listening, who's not from within the military community, that DARPA is the, uh, what's it, Defense Advanced, um, I'm trying to remember the actual acronym, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which has like a multi-billion dollar budget basically to do military-based research uh, to do this kind of stuff on how do we, how do we get better technology? How do we make people make people faster, stronger and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, certain people out there probably, you know, may not be on board with, uh, what, what some of what they do. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's some crazy stuff that where you know, we're, the public's not read in on where they compound some of that stuff with, you know, supplementation and things of that nature, which are probably really wild, but that's, uh, that's above our pay grades, we'll say. Um, but it's very cool stuff to see because me coming from a strength conditioning background, um, you know, when you think about human performance and getting people better, I mean, we stuff talk about things like very, very highly researched and widely used things like caffeine or creatine, you know, getting people like a five to 10% edge on their performance. Uh, but if you're talking about a learning a skill and 50%, I mean, that puts you in a whole nother league. It's, it's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, this is very cool. And this, you think about the money too, right? If some you're trying to train somebody in a skill and, you know, they normally go to a three month, three month school for something like precision engagement, long distance shooting, and you can get them there in half the amount of time that saves the taxpayers dollars uh, at the same time. So I think it's a cool stuff and I hope they keep going down the, uh, that Avenue. Um, it's very cool stuff. And, um, and there's therapeutic benefits as well, right? Like you kind of mentioned a little bit, but you know, how, how are some of these things applicable to stuff like TBI or, or post-traumatic stress? And I know you mentioned addiction too. Yeah. So first off, starting with like the EEG when we're assessing, cause that's, I'll, I'll just preface by saying that's before we actually start 
any neurofeedback or neuromodulation like neurostimulation, we always do that initial EEG assessment where we're actually taking a look at the electrical activity of a person's brain and, and seeing what's going on. Now, one of, one of the uh, really key markers of a traumatic brain injury is what's called waking delta. Mm -hmm. So delta is one of the slow, it is the slowest brainwave that we talk about um, that's really involved in deep restorative sleep. Um, a lot of kind of uh, cellular restoration that takes place in, in sleep. So someone, a, a normal person that comes in should not be producing much what's called wake, you know, delta while they're awake. Uh, you should see it in a sleep study, but not much while they're awake. Now, if we do an EEG and we see, you know, a big kind of area of delta that's all concentrated in a specific area of the brain, that's a pretty uh, good indicator of a brain injury, that there was damage to that area of the brain, basically is indicating that that, uh, that area or that network of the brain has kind of gone offline. It should be producing the faster alpha and beta waves that are seen in most normal consciousness. But if we're seeing those really, really slow frequency delta brain waves, that's usually a good indicator that, that there is a traumatic brain injury there, according to the research. So based on that, when we, when we were able to then detect, you know, cause sometimes it, you know, there's what's called a uh, uh, contra coup injuries, um, which is basically like if, if, you know, cause the brain is obviously lodged within the skull, but it's, it's kind of floating around in right. there. So you could, you could be in a, a car accident or whatever, and you know, your, your head could get sort of whipped, you know, say the, the front to the kind of front left but then it could get, you know, whipped right back, you know, to like the back, right. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the really interesting things where it's like, sometimes the, the contra coup injuries are actually like that, that, like that whiplash where the brain gets whipped back. That's actually kind of the site where that, that takes the most damage. Wow. So that's why it's so important to like assess like where, where this damage from the brain injury is occurring. Mm -hmm. But once, once we know which areas are involved, we can use technologies, neurostimulation is great uh, for, for traumatic brain injuries, uh, treating traumatic brain injuries, as long as it's not, you know, making sure that there's not still like a brain, a hematoma brain mm -hmm. bleed going on, or, you know, making sure that a neurologist is, obviously first kind of okayed the person for, for neurostimulation. Um, but once that is approved, uh, yeah, neuro neurostimulation is great at increasing the blood, uh, blood oxygenation, blood flow and, uh, oxygenation of that damaged area and really helping get that area of the brain back online in, in a way that is much quicker than it might naturally recover. If it even, did naturally recover. Sometimes brain head injuries, sometimes we'll see kind of the effects of head injuries that someone suffered, you know, while they're a child that still will show up in their adult EEG. I mean, that's sometimes the brain's able to heal from certain injuries and based on kind of the location and maybe also genetics definitely play a factor and other environmental right. kind of cues and signals. But, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes these traumatic brain injuries, if untreated, they can result in kind of lasting abnormalities to a person's brain function. And a tool like neurostimulation is really great at, at 
stabilizing the electrical activity of that area and improving blood flow and oxygenation, helping kind of get that, that area back online. Hmm. Very cool. And then what about for PTS? Obviously we're talking about kind of like constantly being in that fight or flight mode. Is there therapeutic potential for that as well? A ton. Yeah. I'd say the, all the different neurotechnologies that I work with, I'd say they, they have that in common for the most part that, you know, we're, for the most part, using them to put someone into uh, more of that parasympathetic rest and relax uh, sort of response. Sometimes with, you know, as I mentioned, like the beta brain waves that we might upregulate in cases where we're wanting to increase focus or attention, you know, we do, we do use the technology for that. But oftentimes what we see, say with PTSD or conditions like OCD, intense anxiety, mm-hmm. they'll often show up similarly on, on an EEG, uh, basically seeing a lot of what's called uh, beta spindling, uh, which is like a, a ton of these very uh, high frequency beta brainwaves. And, and beta, as we have talked about, is really important for you know cognitive functioning and is you know a deficit of beta is problematic if you know not being able to pay attention and focus. But being stuck in kind of a, a hyper aroused state right. where you having kind of this constant overproduction of these beta waves, usually down, down the midline of the brain in an area called the cingulate, we see, uh, we see that as a pretty common signature of cases of say PTSD. So the technology, what we're wanting to do with the technology in those cases is generally going to be to help someone produce more of those alpha and theta waves that they're usually deficient in. Mm. So you can kind of think of this all as like a balance between, you know, the, uh, the brain maintains this tight balance between excitation and inhibition. So kind of the, the faster beta waves being really important for, for the excitation of the brain. And then the, the more inhibitory alpha and theta waves also being very important. And they're, they're needing to be kind of this tight balance between, between the two kind of groups. So when we have that balance, that's sort of uh, that, that homeostasis is, is no longer able to be maintained. And we have say, you know, a great excess of those faster beta waves. We're almost always going to see a deficiency of the alpha and theta waves and vice versa too. If someone's overproducing the slower brain waves, alpha and theta, they're kind of in this drowsy kind of depressed state. uh, And almost always they're also, we're going to see some deficiencies in beta. So helping kind of the brain maintain that, that regulation between excitation and inhibition is going to be really key. But for the, the people, you know, suffering from PTSD, they have great, you know, tons of excitation going on, right. not nearly enough inhibition. So yeah. what we're going to, regardless of which technology we're going to use, it's, it's always, it's almost always going to be a similar approach of really stimulating those, those slower brain waves enabling someone to get into uh, a really deep, deeply relaxed kind of meditative state. They, they may not be able to access on their own anymore just because of the, the traumas locked them into kind of this hyper hyper vigilant state. So this right. could be something that kind of breaks that, that cycle or, or breaks that, that stuckness, if you will. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, and so many people uh, self-medicate, right? So that, you know, you, they're in that excited state all the time and I can't calm down. I can't chill out. And unfortunately they turn to the very 
socially acceptable and readily accessible uh, thing called alcohol that we is so common in society. And then that turns into an addiction with that where, you know, trying to relax their nervous state. Um, so, and I'm sure there's, there's applications with the addiction piece as well. So I guess my question would be too, if, you know, someone having, having therapy of this nature, you know, do they become a, you know, would, would eventually they no longer need the therapy or is it like it kind of become the therapy now is having to replace the, you know, the use of something else? That's a great question. And, and first I just wanted to add something with, with the alcohol component specifically. So alcohol does a great job of producing short-term relaxation. It, right. You can see in an EEG, if someone starts drinking, they sink from those faster beta brain waves right into a very peaceful alpha, alpha and theta dominated state. It mm -hmm. were like the reason so many people cope self medicate with alcohol is because it works yeah. in, in the short term, obviously it produces plenty of long-term consequences. Right. So and of use in excess as well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So basically with the, the neurotechnology, it's able to teach the brain how to produce those certain electrical rhythms that are being stimulated by alcohol. But if you could actually generate those with your own brain, which is, is possible, then maybe you don't have the urge to, to need to drink a fifth of whiskey to just calm yourself down at night. If you yeah. could, if your nervous system could a just fifth, a fifth, boy, I know people that go through the whole bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. Unfortunately, I mean, it's really bad in the military community. So like, there's a lot of kind of like accepted alcohol, uh, alcoholism. And it's, I say it accepted. It's not, it's not on, on the table, but you know, people know that it was, it goes on, but you know, yeah, let's call it what it is. But at, at the substance abuse and mental health treatment facility in South Florida, I was working at, I treated, I worked with tons of first responders who, yeah, I mean, that was just, that was just normal. Like it, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So right. When it was, it was all just accepted. That's what every, all their other coworkers did. Right. And with alcohol too, you know, increased tolerance over the more, you know, the more you use just like with caffeine, right. The receptors in the brain are like, uh, it's not doing what it used to. So let's do more. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They downregulate. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really cool stuff, man. I appreciate you breaking everything down. And, uh, I, I geek out on the, on the nerd stuff, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll try to keep it at a surface level for, for audience consumption, but I really, I really, I could talk this stuff for hours. It's really cool, man. Sure. Um, so I got I got Oh, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to forget about the, the question that you would ask me after you mentioned the thing about alcohol. Yeah. Uh, can you remind me of that question? Oh, just, just basically whether like, you know, do they, do they need to keep coming back to using, yes. you know, neurostimulation or, 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 or do they, you know, or neurofeedback or, or does it actually help train, train the person to become independent? I guess. Yes. Question. Yes. Yes. I wanted mm -hmm. to answer that question. Cause I, I love that. That's, yeah. that's a really key question. Um, Cause yeah. So it's, it's something that if we do, one neurofeedback session or one neurostimulation session. What's taking place um, is going to be, you know, temporary changes. Uh, people can often feel better after one session. Oftentimes, you know, after the first session, people will report, you know, that they slept better than they had, you know, in, in months or years mm -hmm. uh, or reductions in anxiety. Those are common things that people will report early on. In neuroscience, they talk about uh, state changes versus trait changes. Mm -hmm. So like a, basically doing like one session is going to kind of uh, change your state. 
you know, in the same way that popping a pill, taking a drug or having a few drinks is going to change your state. Now, if you do that every day, that's going to start producing um, trait changes and, mm-hmm. you know, the long, more long-term changes uh, in kind of your day-to-day functioning and uh, your brain activity. So when we're training someone's brain with neurostimulation or neurofeedback, we want to do several sessions with neurofeedback. Sometimes practitioners will recommend, depending on what the issue that's being worked on is somewhere between, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes even 60 sessions. Neurostimulation, I'm more of a fan of because it, it kind of packs more of a punch, delivers results to people in a shorter amount of time compared to neurofeedback generally. Mm-hmm. So neurostimulation generally after like five to 10 sessions, we'll be able to see significant improvements in the EEG recordings uh, that will that will that do last. Um, now, barring that, you know, uh, if the person was to get a blow to their head the day after leaving a round of neurostimulation right. trainings, yeah. you know, then it's kind of like, you know, we, we've got some work to do. And if someone's not maintaining kind of a brain healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. meaning if, if they're abusing drugs or alcohol, if they're sleeping two hours a night, if they're eating tons of processed, <laughs> you know, foods high in sugar, right. like doing all the things that are bad for the brain, neurofeedback or neurostimulation alone oh, no. is it, it may help a little bit, but right. you're, you're, you're making things a lot tougher for yourself. Sure. Like the yeah. way I see it is these tools are kind of just tools. Like they're, they're part of your toolkit for brain health. So in the same way that exercise and getting enough sunlight and taking, you know, multi of multivitamin, like fish oil, doing all these things that, that also benefit the brain, you know, neurofeedback or neurostimulation alone, I would never say is like, all a person needs, sure. but it can, it can definitely, you know, move the needle significantly in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And for people, um, you know, that's oftentimes when they're, you know, especially patients, you know, who, who would come in, who are in a very bad place, their brain is, is very dysregulated. So they need that kind of jump start to get them, their brain back kind of into a better position. And then that enables them like, okay, they're sleeping better. They're feeling, you know, they're, they're able to be more relaxed and then they have, you know, they have more energy the next day, which then they're able to use to start exercising and to start like cooking, you know, cooking meals that are actually healthy and, and, you know, doing more and more things to build this positive momentum in their lives. So I see it, it often also working like that, where it's like, um, where it's kind of like this, doing, doing kind of neurotherapy can help people just get on this positive, uh, trajectory, but to answer, you know, uh, the, the core of the question, the, the changes are usually pretty long-term, you know, as long as someone is able to continue kind of, you know, following a, a relatively brain healthy lifestyle. Right. Yeah. There, and there's so much to that, man. And I appreciate the transparency to, you know, Unfortunately, we've become a society of fix it now, you know, the instant gratification, right? So just give me the pill that's going to fix the issue, right? But when we talk about complex systems like, you know, like our neurology or, you know, the, the, 
the muscular, the neuromuscular skeletal system as a whole. It's like, and a lot, what you're, what you're talking about too, makes me think of, you know, the, the physical therapy and, and chiropractic world, right? Like, uh, my neck's killing me doc. And, you know, you give a crack or you, you do some soft tissue work and give someone some strengthening exercises. But as soon as they leave the office, they go back to, to staring down at their phone, you know, and getting in a hunched position. It's like, no matter what I do with you, if when you walk out the door and you go back to bad habits, I, you know, it's, it's the compounding effect of all these things in our, in our daily life. So a lot of it becomes behavior change, right? How do we, how do we affect those small behaviors that maybe have become bigger behaviors and lifestyle changes, but start with little things, right? Exactly. No, right. spot on. Yeah, man. It's, it's cool stuff. Um, so I got to ask you the, the question, uh, when you hear warrior monk, uh, what do you think of, and how would you define it? Warrior monk, I would say, you know, someone, uh, I would think that's kind of like you would generally think of, or I mean, like I would think stereotypically a warrior is seen as just someone who's just, you know, brave. Yes. But also maybe sort of just, just completely reckless and, you know, whatever. And maybe a monk being someone who's just completely at peace. And, but I think a warrior monk I see is sort of a, kind of the integration of, of both the great aspects of, of the warrior component of the bravery and, and strength integrated with, with, you know, the, the ability to maintain, um, uh, you know, kind of tranquility, despite, you know, even in the face of stress, you know, such as what a monk is able to do, um, so kind of pairing together the, the boast, uh, the best of, of both kind of states. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I would think of. That's awesome. And I, I, this is a question I like to ask everyone who comes in the podcast, because everyone always gives me a different answer. Um, and there's certain threads and themes that, that seem to be consistent, but I always appreciate having someone else's take on it from the outside. Um, next question I like to ask my guests is who's influencing you right now, or who are you following uh, or reading, and this could be, you know, a personal relationship or, you know, someone that you're, you know, consuming through mu- media or podcasting, pick your, pick your flavor. Yeah. So a couple of the, the biggest influences I feel like, uh, for my work, I would say, you know, Dave Asprey, the guy mm-hmm. who, who does, uh, founded Bulletproof. Yeah. That's how I started getting into this field altogether, listening to, to Bulletproof radio, where he's talking about utilizing all of these weird technologies and, changing your diet and all this stuff. The the biohacking community, right? Biohacking. Exactly. It's been Um, Ben Greenfield for me. Ben Greenfield. That's, that's another guy I loved what was boundless, right? That Mm -hmm. his last book, which was like a great comprehensive guide to to biohacking. I'd recommend Mm -hmm. everyone check that out. Yeah. Um, Specifically with, with my line of work, there's, there's a Dr. Nicholas Dogris who has been using uh, neurostimulation along with some other technologies, neurofeedback, uh, PEMF is one we haven't touched on yet. It's basically using magnetic fields to heal the brain. Uh, but he's, he's one of the pioneers in this field. who has been doing this for like, gosh, like 20, 25 years. And I actually had the chance to, to get mentored by him and learn just so much information about the different neurostimulation protocols Cause it, it is kind of an art and a science, right. Sure. Where, where it's like, I can't say based on seeing a specific EEG that, you know, Oh, you, you for sure have this diagnosis mm-hmm. and we for sure need to do neurostimulation yeah. at these specific sites, you know, of your brain, it's not black and white. <laughs> it's not black and white whatsoever, yeah. but, but, 
you know, learning from, from someone who has decades of experience doing this and putting together protocols, I was able to learn so much in terms of like, okay, when we're seeing these patterns on an EEG, these people tend to do best with these sort of neurostimulation protocols and, and really just, uh, yeah, learning so much from him, I feel like is, is what it has enabled me to then now be able to set up my own, um, I don't want to say practice because I'm not, I'm not a licensed psychologist. I'm not using this stuff to treat any specific condition, but to be able to bring this to sort of the peak performance and wellness community, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know what I was doing. Um, if it, if it weren't for his mentorship and the couple accreditations I've, uh, attained in both, um, in both reading the EEG along with, uh, neurofeedback, I'm board certified in each. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to like, you know, we're, we're talking about utilizing such powerful tools. You want someone who, who has expertise in using them, who knows what they're doing, because I think as we sort of alluded to earlier, it's not, it's not something that you can necessarily harm someone with in, in the typical sense of like, you know, neurofeedback is not going to, you know, produce, you know, result in someone having seizures or, you know, something like that, but you can sort of steer the brain in the wrong direction if you don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing. Sure. So that's why it's so important that I think for myself that I've gotten the proper mentorship and proper accreditations that I've attained so that, you know, people, people come to me. I mean, someone, someone asked me the question of like, well, if, if someone was to come to you uh, or if, if you were to go to someone to get your brain trained, like what, what sort of experience credentials training would you want that individual to have? Right. And that's, that's basically, I, t- I really thought about that question a lot and basically attained whatever it was, um, have built my own kind of uh, resume per se, um, to have all of that training so that people can come to me and know, you know, that this is someone who's actually gotten mentored by, by one of the best people in the field and has lots of experience and training. So they actually know how to, how to best operate these technologies to, to actually enhance someone's brain. Yeah, man. And, and tell me his name again, Nicholas. Dogris. Yeah. Dr. Dogris. Nicholas Dogris. I'm yeah, going to be looking him up for sure. He's a very fascinating guy. He, he runs um, both a private practice along with um, he, he created the, the neurostimulation units um, with his company uh, that basically enable you to do all different sorts of neurostimulation. There's like the, the transcranial direct current that, that we do um, that is what the DARPA was studying, but there's also like transcranial alternating current. There's pink noise stimulation. There's random noise. Like there's so many different types of neurostimulation and his units integrate all of those into one. So he's a, yeah, brilliant. One of the most brilliant people I think I've ever met. So it was, it was a real honor getting to, getting to train under him. Yeah. And mentorship is so important, man. It's, it's been one of the, the joys of my time in the military has been able to mentor um, other, other young men who are, you know, are ambitious and, and want, want to do something and need some guidance and, you know, getting to pass on what you've learned. It's, it's a great thing. And I've had great mentors as well. When I first came in and, you know, a lot of times I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing and having someone, you know, take you under their wing and, and help give you some guidance is such a, an awesome thing. Right. hundred percent. 
the uh, the word toxic masculinity gets thrown around on our society a lot these days. Um, but I think I think men mentoring men in positivity, creativity, um, you know, righteousness, uh, moral decision making, ethical decision making. That's the opposite of whatever people want to define as toxic masculinity. So it's important. And I think also just with like men's mental health, they think like this, like utilizing neurotechnology, I just say is like, I mean, I feel like it, like men tend to gravitate towards this sort of stuff because it's like, sure. you know, compared to giving, being given the choice of like, do you want to do this brain training that can actually improve the electrical functioning of your brain versus do you want to talk about your problems? Yeah. Not, not to just take anything away from psychotherapy. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to bash it whatsoever, but I just feel like, I mean, as a man myself, like I tend to like be gravitated towards like action steps where it's like actually, you know, things taking supplements, doing exercise that actually like changes my biology. Yeah, so I think just stuff. from, from like a men's mental health perspective, I think neurotechnology can really change the game. Sure. It's awesome. And it's, and it's like also important too, right? Cause when we talk about mental health and things going awry, you know, men, not that women can't commit acts of violence because they do, but the proclivity, the, the likelihood that a violent crime somewhere or a violent event is happening somewhere, it's likely going to be a man, right? Because of testosterone. And that's a whole nother conversation to talk about hormones and how it affects the brain and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's very much, very much a thing. So I think what you're doing is really important, man. And, uh, I, I wish you all the continued success in, in what Roscoe's wetsuit is, is, is all about. So um, for any of my listeners that want to kind of connect with you, have more questions, are interested in maybe getting coaching, where, where can they find you? Absolutely. So people actually can sign up uh, today if, if you want to just do a 15-minute uh, consultation with me. That's something, a complimentary service that I have at roscoeswetsuitneuro.com. Uh, to find out about the neurohealth coaching that we offer, which is basically utilizing all the different components of nutrition, exercise, supplementation, uh, nootropics or smart drugs, uh, along with different neuromodulation uh, to basically uh, integrate a program to improve someone's cognition. And people can also check out uh, Roscoe's wetsuit neuro.com slash warrior monk. Um, there's a specific landing page that people can access a 15% off uh, uh, code for their first neuro health coaching session. If they do decide to go that route. Very cool, man. I, I appreciate you throwing that up uh, to kind of our collaboration here. And I want to, I want to get some coaching myself, man. I know you're, you're currently in the Pacific Northwest, correct? I am. I'm in Oregon, but I'm, I'm, it's Miami or bust. Um, yeah, man. My, my Florida or my, uh, my business is, is incorporated in Florida. And this is something that I just, I just saw as, you know, such a, such like a, a Miami thing of like, just the wellness community is, yep. is so big there. And obviously a lot of very affluent people, which at this moment, you know, with, with the technology still, the applications of the technology still being in its infancy, at least in the the sort of peak performance and wellness setting, it, it does still kind of come, come at a high price point. So, you know, that, that is definitely, definitely the reason I kind of chose South Florida for, for doing this business. For sure. I mean, let's, let's face it too. The weather's better as well. <laughs> yeah, man. It, having grown up a place where it rains eight months out of the year, it's like yeah. Florida, Florida and California have always seemed like paradise yeah. to me. So you'll have to adapt to the humidity a little bit. A lot of people can't, can't deal with the humidity, but as long as you can go to the beach and get, get the wind going, it's, it's not too bad. Exactly. Yep.
Well, this has this has been honestly, man, one of my favorite conversations I've had uh, on the on the podcast, and I'm not just just saying that to to, to compliment compliment you. I just I really love talking this stuff, and uh, it keeps me it keeps me interested and curious about learning too. You know, I'm, I'm not in the field, but I, I just want to gobble it up as much as as possible, and it helps me in life, right? Like self self awareness and self assessment psychologically, or how you just in dealing with people or your own human behaviors, and maybe how you should be making better, smarter uh, decisions and everything like that. So it, it definitely helps, man. So I wish you all the continued success. And uh, I really hope we can link up once you relocate to Miami. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I actually always extend the offer if if you're ever going to be passing through, which it sounds like uh, sounds like you will um, definitely come check me out. I'd love to hook you up with complimentary, you know, we'll do, we'll do the EEGs. We'll hook you up with neurostimulation, neurofeedback. You can try out and play with all these, uh, with all of this cool tech. Yeah. It sounds fun, man. I'd love to do it. All right. All right, Toby. Thanks again for your time, man. We'll be in touch. It was awesome, Lance. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Toby for joining me on the Warrior Monk podcast. I really enjoyed this episode and getting more into the nitty gritty of neuroscience and into neurofeedback and neurostimulation. And if you're interested in getting in touch with him, like he said, go check out Roscoe's Wetsuit. That's R-O-S-C-O-E-S. Roscoe's Wetsuitneuro.com slash Warrior Monk. And you'll get a discount off of a first neuro coaching session with him, as well as you can click on the website and check out the other stuff that Toby's got going on. He also has his own podcast where he talks to other professionals in the neuroscience world, and he's got some really cool content there as well. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please continue to give this podcast support. Like I said, I mentioned our Patreon at the intro of the podcast. If you haven't also, please go check out our pages on Instagram and on Facebook at the Warrior Monk Podcast. And please leave a review if you're finding us on Audible or on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a review. Check us out on Spotify as well. Share the podcast with a friend. Please help us spread and grow the podcast so I can get more listeners as well as more guests uh, trying to expand and reach out the number of people that we're having on the podcast and expand into some different areas looking for feedback as well if you have an idea or a comment on uh, future content you'd like to see on the Warrior Monk podcast please feel free to leave me a direct message on either Facebook or on Instagram That's going to be it for this time around. I hope you enjoyed these continued segments on psychology and neuroscience. There's a couple more coming up. And guys, let's continue to grow through balance. That's what the Warrior Monk Podcast is all about. This is Lance, signing out.